0: Hey guys, Michael here with WeddingVideographySchool.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the WVS podcast. And if you know somebody uh, who might benefit from this podcast, go ahead and uh, text them and tell them to tune in. Uh, they can find this podcast on iTunes or wherever you might be listening to this podcast at. Um, yeah, really, really appreciate it. On today's show, I want to talk about a couple things. I'm actually on the road right now, uh, not in my car or anything, but at the uh, hotel that I'm staying at up here in Beaver Creek in Vail area. Um, So that's basically the mountains of Colorado for anybody who doesn't know. Um, And yeah, it's uh, it's – Beautiful, beautiful time of year up here. It's a little rainy right now, but uh, I think tomorrow it's going to be great for this wedding. And I'm just trying to chill out a little bit before the wedding. And uh, after I get off of, um, after I stop recording this, I will go chill and watch some TV, maybe have some uh, pizza and stuff like that. So uh, by the time you hear this, I should be back home. Um, yeah. I last weekend and I actually started shooting with the Canon 5d mark 4 and I gotta say I really like the camera um, most of you know that I've been using the 5d mark 3 for like a really long time and which it, it was it's been a good camera overall but the problem is you know as most people know especially if you shoot in slow motion like I do uh, you can only shoot in 60 frames a Per second at 720p resolution so that is no bueno but I've gotten I've gotten by until uh, basically until this last weekend when I finally got the mark IV, and uh, I can do um, 1080p at 60 frames per second with this camera so uh, that is what I'm doing I my first impressions of the camera um, are actually pretty good. I actually really enjoyed working with the camera, mostly because it felt very, very similar to the Mark III. I mean, the, the layout and everything is all very similar. Um, the one thing that I really enjoyed using, uh, particularly during toasts, was the auto-tracking, uh, the autofocus like, facial tracking. Um, so you can be in video mode and the camera will actually uh, attract faces that you select on the touchscreen and um, keep them in focus. And I have found that so far it works pretty good. It can get con- a little confused if there's like a lot of faces in the shot. Um, so if you're pointing the camera towards like 10 different people and you select one face, it, it usually does pretty good, but sometimes it can get confused and jump to another face, especially if people are moving around. But like I said, for toasts, usually you got one person standing up and, uh, they're usually, well, hopefully they're not walking around. Sometimes I get that, but, um, usually it's not that big of a deal. Um, but this was really nice because I tend to shoot my toasts um, pretty, I um, pretty pretty shallow depth of field, um, and so this was actually really really awesome to have. So I def- definitely like that feature. The other thing I noticed is this camera is. Uh, has a great image i started recording at 1080p 60 frames per second at using the uh, all eye compression and i've pretty much decided to abandon ipb shooting unless i'm just shooting that i don't something that i don't really care about but when it comes to weddings i'm gonna go ahead and use the all eye compression now this does take up quite a bit more space um, i think it's like almost twice to maybe it's honestly like I shot this wedding and I ended up with 300 gigabytes and that included some aerial footage that I shot in 4k. Um, but typically I probably end up with like 70, maybe 80 gigabytes using IPB. Um, however, um, You know, I also keep in mind I used to shoot 720p at 60 frames per second. So now I have a bigger image at 60 frames per second. So it's going to take up a little more space. But all in all, like I have to say, the image quality is fantastic the colors uh of the canon are great i definitely prefer them over the colors from like the sony's or uh the the panasonic's like the gh5 um not saying those are bad cameras like i've seen incredible stuff done with those cameras too so i'm not ragging on those cameras but for me like right out of the camera right out of the canon i'm getting um footage that looks very very similar to how i actually saw it with my own eyes so um that's one thing that i really love about the camera the other thing that i noticed is when i got my footage into post um, i was actually able to push push the the image quite a bit in terms of color grading so when i went into colorista and started messing around The first thing I noticed is I could really like crank up the blacks, um, not crush them, but like really pull them up, um, and make them super, super light. So that was, that was pretty nice. Um, yeah, that was, that was really impressive actually, uh, when I got that image into Premiere, um, to see just how far I could push this image compared to what I was able to do with IPB and, um, um you know, especially not having to upscale from 720p to a a 1080p timeline. Um, I know that all eye isn't supposed to really have a better image quality. I I think it has something to do, from what I can tell, it has something to do with how it records um, frames or something. Like it's not like the, you don't have like two frames that are dependent on each other. Each each frame is its own picture. Um, But the thing is, Like, I kind of feel like the all-eye image is a better image. And I don't know the science behind it or all the technical stuff, so maybe I'm wrong. But honestly, I was able to push this image way more, way more than I ever have been able to push any IPB uh, footage that I've shot. So, um, you know, I really do think uh, I've found my new uh, favorite setup. And uh, yeah, so l- I'm going to walk you kind of through how I shot this last weekend and why I think I'm going to keep doing this uh, particular setup for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, I, I have four cameras. One is just kind of a backup Mark II, but um, 5D Mark II um, that I'm not really using. And then I have two Mark Threes and this new Mark Four. the mark four is obviously my a camera so that's the camera that i use most of the day um and let's see i'm going to show you the picture style well i'll tell you about it since this is a podcast you can't really see it but the way i set up my picture pro st- picture profile on this camera was i went to the neutral setting um and then you hit info or whatever it doesn't really matter you guys can figure that part out um And then I turn the sharpness all the way down to zero. I turn the contrast all the way down to zero. And I turn my saturation down two notches. Um, That is what I've heard is called pro lost. That's what some like YouTuber people are calling it. it is called pro lost. I don't know if that's true, but. I saw one video where a guy called it that. Um so yeah, that's those are the settings that I'm using. Um that's actually I remember this. I don't know if Philip Bloom would call it Pro Lost or what he would call, it, but back when Philip Bloom was shooting with some canon cameras, he was calling this um well those were just his settings. I don't know if he called it pro lost, but that's when I I guess I'm gonna start calling it that. Um and I shoot at 1080p. All eye 60 frames per second on my A camera. For my two Mark III B cameras, I do 1080p at 30 frames per second with this Prolog picture profile. Um, Yeah, and that's pretty much it. As far as sharpening, so like I know some people are like, I wouldn't turn my sharpening all the way down. I do it um, just because you can with, with, at least with the Canon cameras, like the in-camera sharpening isn't all that great. So, I mean, it's okay. Like, it's not terrible. Like your clients are never, ever going to notice it, but I prefer being able to go in post and just apply, you know, like a sharpness in premiere of like, you know, like maybe like 20 is the number I'd probably use, but it kind of depends on the shot. You can get away with more, um, for some shots and get away with less for others, but usually around 20, I think is pretty good. I don't like to get too crazy sharp. The camera looks pretty good, um, as is. So like I said, most of your clients aren't even going to notice that sort of thing. But, um, so yeah, the, the image was sharp, everything about this camera I'm, I'm really enjoying. Um, so yeah, that's my setup. So like I said, I'm on the road uh, this weekend, so this is going to be kind of a short podcast. And I actually have two weddings coming up next weekend that are going to be back-to-back, so I'm going to be a little busy over the next couple weeks. But I've gotten some interesting questions in my email inbox and just wanted to answer those um, for you. So uh, the first question comes from Audrey, and she asked me – Well, here, I'll just read it to you. She says, hey, Michael, I got a quick question for you. Do you provide your clients with the raw footage from their wedding? If so, how do you deliver it? I've been putting the footage on a flash drive for my clients, Um, they pay extra for all the footage, but the footage takes up tons of space and I have to buy huge flash drives. Is there a way to compress the .mov files so they aren't so huge? What do you do? Um, that's a great question. Audrey, you know, I, I do provide raw footage to my clients. Um, but I use Vimeo pro to deliver all my, all my videos, right? So if you have a Vimeo pro account, you can create things, um, they call them portfolios. You can create these portfolios for each client and a portfolio is basically like, it's basically like its own little URL kind of website. Anyway, that's what I do. And I upload each video that I deliver, including all the raw footage uh, to that portfolio site. So I upload a highlight video, I upload uh, the ceremony edit um, as a separate video and I upload the raw footage as a separate video. So I actually organize all my footage on a timeline and I put it in chronological order and then I actually export it like I would the highlight video now the the footage ends up like here I actually went ahead and pulled up my last uh, raw footage timeline that I gave to a client and it ended up being like just over two hours in length so I don't use the exact same settings that I would for like a highlight video where I kind of want to retain a little more quality and whatever. Um, this is still going to be super high quality. Like your clients are going to have no idea that you can press the footage and they're most like 99% of them aren't going to care. Every once in a while I get somebody who knows a little bit about video or whatever. And then they ask me to put everything on a hard drive, but that's pretty rare. Um, And I'm happy to do it. It actually makes my life a little bit easier um, to do that (laughs) because then I don't have to like export all this stuff. But um, I'm going to go ahead and walk you through these export settings for my raw footage timeline. So I'm looking at the timeline right now. And after I have everything in chronological order and it's ready to export, um, and this is in Premiere, by the way. So if you're using Final Cut or something, you can do something similar, but I don't know. The exact procedure but for all you premiere users out there this will be helpful i just go to format i go to h.264 um, well first i hit export media obviously file export media uh, then i go to h.264 under format um, and then down where it says export video export audio make sure both of those are checked and right above that you can put your output name um, and then down where it says um, Basic Video Settings, you'll see a button that says Match Source. I hit that button, and then um, it pretty much, what that does is it basically like takes the settings and the timeline and applies them to the final output. Um, it's not super important. It's probably already selected for you, but uh, just in case it's not, go ahead and select that. Then I click uh, Render at Maximum Depth, And then I scroll down to where the bitrate settings are. And I use the variable bitrate to pass. Um, And I set my target bitrate at around like six or seven. Um, And for like a two hour video, that's going to put me at like six or seven gigabytes worth of, uh, like as a final file. And that used to be huge, but I feel like now that we're moving towards um, faster internet speeds and better download speeds. And people are starting to maybe gravitate towards watching 4K on Netflix and stuff. Having like six gigabyte files for like two hours of video isn't really that insane anymore. So um, you can, if, if you want to um, use the, uh, um, here, let me pull it up here. Sometimes I'll go to format H.264 and then um, it's not popping up. Usually it pops up. I must have switched something, but you can you can set it to basically be like a high, high bit rate if you want preset. Um, I usually just do like a medium bit rate or something like that. But again, I just changed that target bit rate down under uh, bit rate settings. I usually set it around six or seven and then maximum bit rate around 14. Um, and then... I scroll down. There's nothing else. It's not a VR video, so don't select that. And then the last thing I do is I click uh, Use Maximum Render Quality. Um, and then down below that, you can see near the very bottom of the window, it says Estimated File Size. It'll dis- display it in megabytes. Um, and right now I have one at 7,053. So that's just over 7 gigabytes. Uh, then you hit Export. And that's that's how I do it, and I can actually upload that um, just as I just like I would any other video, and my clients are able to to download it as well. Um, so that's how I deliver my raw footage. I do not like hard drives or USB drives really because I like to. Listen, like once my videos are done, I like to get them online like immediately because honestly, you never know when you're going to have a hard drive crash or whatever. Obviously, I back up all my stuff, but um, just knowing that it's living online uh, (laughs) just makes me feel way better. So I personally don't deliver on flash drives or DVDs or hard drives or anything like that unless I have a very specific request. But... I don't even think I ha- all last year I did like 36 weddings and I don't think I had one request for a USB drive. So it's been working out really well for me. This other question, uh, Audrey asked, and it was kind of like a PS at the bottom of her email. And I actually thought it was an interesting question because I don't think anybody's asked me this yet. Um, uh, but she says, just out of curiosity, does the wedding videography school podcast generate an income for you? If not, why do you do it just for fun? I've been a loyal listener of of yours since the beginning. Uh, I appreciate that, Audrey. Uh, Definitely love the people that have been listening from the beginning. Uh, Makes me feel really good. Um, The reason, so to answer your question about does the WVS podcast generate income for me, right now it doesn't. Um, I do make a little bit of money if people send me, um, well not send me, but if people buy like the Big 10 series on the website, um, that's pretty much, I think all I really have for sale right now. Or if somebody books me for like an hour of my time to like, for me to just answer all their questions and, um, help them with their business stuff. Um, I do make a little bit of money from that, but not really enough to justify doing the podcast. Um, the podcast is, you know, it, it's, I hope it will make me money eventually, um, But as of now, I'm I'm mostly just putting in a bunch of work up front so that maybe I can possibly make some money down the road. Um, You know, podcasting is a pretty new overall in terms of like media. It's a pretty new medium. I know it's been around for like ten years, but. you know when you think about how long tv has been around 10 years is is pretty new or when you think about how long radio has been around it's it's all pretty new so um you know apple just came out with podcast analytics so you can kind of start to get an idea of like how many people are listening to your podcast through itunes but you know you can't really see how many people are listening you know through like another app like stitcher or any of the other like 50 podcast players out there so I, I honestly don't know exactly how many people listen to this show um, I kind of just judge by the all the emails that I get and stuff like that but um, yeah it's it's an interesting time like I said I hope hopefully I can get some sponsors or something to um, do a little bit of advertising on the show I know that kind of annoys people but it is a lot of work on my end um, to sit down and record these and um, you know the thing is is I'll sit down and record these but I have to do a little bit of editing sometimes too cause I'm not like a radio DJ. Like I can't just sit here and talk for like 20 hours. So uh, sometimes I screw up and have to delete what I recorded or go back and edit things. So uh, it does take a little bit of time, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I like meeting new videographers. Um, I've had really interesting conversations with um, videographers from all over. I've talked to people in other countries. Um, I've met second shooters this way. So like there's a lot of really cool things that are happening, even though it's not really um, money related. And I am at a point in my career where money isn't really like an issue for me, like it's definitely the thing that I probably care about the most just because I'm, I'm like super into money. (laughs) But, uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, when I first started my wedding videography business, I'll put it to you this way. When I first started, like, I didn't know I was going to make a ton of money. I just knew that if I could book, you know, 15 weddings a year, I could probably make like $50,000 a year. And, you know, I told my my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but I told my wife – I remember exactly where I was when I said this to her. We were we we were at this restaurant in Denver. My wife had just moved up there um, for a job, and I was still living in Colorado Springs working at the TV station that I was working at. And I was driving up there every weekend to visit my girlfriend and stay in this apartment that she rented up there. Um, and then I was like living with a friend down in Colorado Springs, which is about an hour – it was basically an hour door-to-door, and so every weekend I was driving for an hour just to go up there for like, you know, two nights, and then drive back on Monday morning for work, and it, it was, it was kind of starting to suck, and I was like, you know, I don't think I can do this job forever, like, you're up here, I want to be with you, and, you know, I don't want to just see you on the weekends, you know, things were getting pretty serious between us, and so... I actually decided to move up there, but part of the part of my thinking was if I can shoot 15 weddings a year, and I remember telling her this, I could quit my job. And she's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah, because look, you know, let's say, you know, I, I did all the math on like a napkin for her. And I was like, "See, if I did 15, I could make like $50,000 a year." And I think that was like about the same that she was making and she had gotten a big raise or whatever which in TV, like if you make $50,000 working in TV news, like you're doing better than most people. So and I was like, I, I've said this in other podcasts. I was only making like $35,000 a year, um, at my other job. So, um, yeah, I was like, man, I could just do 15 weddings and make $50,000. And I thought that would be incredible. I, I like, I was like, oh, that'll be life changing. Um, and it was cause it allowed me to move to Denver and it allowed me, you know to continue my relationship with my now wife and all this stuff um but you know uh I I had no idea that by taking that risk I was actually setting myself up to make um a six figure income and now I actually last year I think I grossed 120 about 120,000 is what I did last year so I'm hoping I'm hoping through like a few different ways I can like get that number up to like 150. And eventually at some point I gotta start thinking about how I can make a million, you know, in a year. And it probably won't be like all the way, like all like wedding videography related. I'll probably have to do other things, but um, yeah, I love money. And so anyway, I know this is like a huge rabbit trail, but I found that in life, you have to do things upfront for free. A lot of times, like I, I definitely worked my ass off in the beginning, right? I gave clients discounts just to get them to book with me. I gave, I promised planners discounts if they, you know, for their clients, if they booked me, I promised some people like commissions, like, Hey, if you send me a wedding and they book, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Right. Um, That was something I did for a really long time. Um, and actually I have a few photographers that I do that with, not because I need the weddings, but because I just want to work with those photographers because, um, they're fun to hang out with on the wedding day. And if you have photographers that you work with over and over, um, you feel like you have a friend at a wedding. So that's one of the reasons I do that with, um, certain photographers and planners and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I. I busted my ass in the beginning and gave away a lot of money and left a lot of money on the table. And it really, really helped me out later on. So I hope that this podcast will turn into some sort of really awesome money generating machine. But, you know, I I don't know. I've committed that I'm gonna do at least a hundred episodes of the podcast and then make a decision after that. Um, as to whether I want to keep going so, um, you can look forward to like 70 more podcasts or so, <laughs> uh, cause that's, that's my commitment. Um, but yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. I got another question from, um, where is it? I'm scrolling through my emails here. Sorry about that. Oh, here we go. I got another question from Shane and Shane says, um, He says, Michael, I'm working on a contract, but I have a lot of questions about what should be in the contract. So I'm trying to make it very simple. Is that a good idea? As far as a deposit goes for booking, I'm assuming I do that before the contract, (laughs) question mark. Also, I've only talked to this person on the phone. Should I ask them to send me a check for the deposit? What's the process you go through as far as deposits and contracts are concerned? All right, Shane, so that's that's a valid question, man. Um, as far as contracts go, here's what I would advise to you. I'm going to pull up my wedding videography school.com website. So if you go to wedding videography school.com, um, you can see there's like some free resources and stuff there. But if you go to wedding videography school.com slash contract, it should take you right to dropbox um, where you can download a sample contract now this is a contract that I started out with and had my attorney um, go through and actually rewrite portions of um, but I'm actually gonna walk you through it right now um, so we're Up at the top, you'll see client names, client address, client email, client phone, event venue, location, and event date. I actually have the clients write that in. Um, That way, if it's wrong, it's on them, not on me. (laughs) And uh, I'll go through the very first paragraph so that you understand what you're supposed to put in the blank spaces. Um, It says, this agreement is made effective for all purposes in all respects as of. Um, and then you put in the, the date in that blank space, by and between, and then you put in either your name uh, or your company's name, uh, here and after referred to as the company, and and in this blank space, you'll put uh, the client's name. So, uh, that's how you get that contract started. And then, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see af- just after where it says pricing um finalized package. this is where I list out what people get in the package, and that's basically just a copy of what I list in um you know my package offerings, right? So it's basically it's a little more descriptive, like I'll put in you know um one videographer for eight hours or whatever, and then one, you know, all the deliverables, right? So like one highlight video, um, you know, one seven minute highlight video set to licensed music or whatever, Um, all raw footage or, uh, you know, additional videographer for eight hours, like whatever you're delivering to them, you're gonna put it in that space under finalized package. And then down at the bottom, uh, you'll just want to sign and date. So you'll sign and date. And then the, uh, the, the, uh, client, uh, will sign and date. I advise that you just have one person sign and date the contract. Um, so whether that's the bride or the groom, or maybe it's one of their parents, like I honestly don't care, but I just want one person signing. Um, cause I don't like to have a contract with, two people right like if you put both their names on there um that's kind of obnoxious so i i always just ask that they pick who they want to be on the contract i'd say 90 percent of the time it's the bride so um so yeah hopefully that helps you out um i would say you know i this is a disclaimer like don't just take this contract and go out there and start using it like obviously you can but If anything happens, I'm not liable for that. Because my advice to you and my advice to everybody all the time is to take this contract that you can download at WeddingVideographySchool.com slash contract, take it to an attorney in your state and have them build off of that. Right. So um, most attorneys, a a good business attorney is going to be able to set you up with a good contract, but you're going to save a ton of money by bringing this to them, because if they have to build a contract from scratch, um, it's going to take them multiple hours and a lot of attorneys, you know, my attorney is like 275 bucks an hour. So, you know, if it takes her three hours to do, uh, to build a contract from scratch or whatever, or go, go online and like find, um, a, a similar kind of contract, um, I'm going to get charged like eight $800 or so. Um, so if you can go in with this, like, I don't see why they couldn't knock it out within an hour. Um, so you might, you might end up spending like 300 bucks for a contract and, uh, it's totally worth it in my opinion. And, uh, yeah. So download this, use this contract at your own risk. Um, I'm not saying it's not a good contract. What I'm saying is, you know, depending on where you live, there's going to be different things that your attorney is going to want to take into account and, um, put into the contract for you to protect you um also if you live in colorado do not just assume that you know like i said my con my attorney's actually gone in to this exact contract and changed some things around um so you know and the reason why i'm not putting my full-blown contract online for you guys isn't because it's secretive or because i'm selfish and i don't want to share stuff i'm Obviously, I do this podcast for free. I'm happy to like answer pretty much any question that I can. Um, but the reason that I don't do it is because I don't ever want to give anybody the impression that they shouldn't have an attorney check it out. So if I were to come on and be like, here's the exact contract I use, um, it, it, I feel like a lot of people would just try to, especially anybody that lives in Colorado, would probably just try to like go out and use that contract without seeing an attorney. And then, um, I I just don't think that's a good way for you guys to go about it. Definitely spend 300 bucks on a contract. I know when you're first starting, that's like a ton of money. Like I get it. It feels like it just feels lame, but it's totally worth it. And I sleep so much better knowing that I have all the insurance I need. I have all the you know, the, the right contract. I have everything reviewed by my attorney so that I know that I'm not doing anything stupid. So, um, absolutely, absolutely get an attorney and pay them the 300 bucks they want to go through and make this a state specific contract for you. Um, yeah, that's, that's my advice there. So to answer the rest of the rest of your question, Shane, um, you know, what I do is actually I'll just tell you about a client that I'm in the process of booking right now. I wait for the email from the client that says that they want to proceed in booking me. Usually they'll send me an email that says, Hey, we love your videos and we've talked about it and we've decided we'd like to move forward with booking you. Right? So at that point, um, I put together the deposit invoice um, and the contract right so i already have the contract like loaded up into 17 hats which is like the soft the app that i use my client management app um but basically i mean you just have your contract that can be you know uh however you have your contract you can just have that ready to go and then just update um the price um down where it says finalized package in that contract, by the way, I also put the total price, uh, just right next to where it says final pat, uh, finalized package. Um, I'll just write out the price right there. So change that to suit the new couple that you're booking. And if anything in the list, like if anything, you know, as far as the deliverables go under that finalized package, if anything, any of that stuff has changed, then you'll want to, uh, I can't talk I don't know what's going on you'll want to uh, that change that stuff for them Um, but yeah I just put a a deposit invoice Um, the deposit invoice okay sorry I had to pause in order to uh, pull up this uh, invoice here I'm actually like looking at this stuff so I can walk you through it Um, my invoice has my letterhead at the top um, so just like my business name and logo Um, it says, you know, from films about love and then it's invoice to, in this case, my client is Mary, um, insert her last name there. Um, and it has the invoice number, the date issued, and then the due date. Now on my invoice, I can actually set it up so people can make multiple payments. Um, but you can have two different due dates on there if you want. Uh, my due date is for the, the actual, like the week before the wedding. Um, uh, but that's just for like the whole the whole invoice amount needs to be paid by then. I actually make my clients do a 50% retainer. Um, and so I'll, I'll list the, you know, the item that they're getting, which is wedding videography. In this case, um, this person asked for my seven minute film package, um, and it'll list the price there. And then underneath that, I'll have a I have a line that says payment due by, in this case, it's June 8th, 2018, and then another line that says payment due uh, July 20th, 2019, which is a week before their wedding, and it's just split 50%, so 50% is due on that first date, June 8th, and the 50% is due uh, on the second date, July 20th. And then it has the total down at the bottom. Um, So yeah, that's how I put my invoice together, and I send that to them at the same time that I send the contract. And in my email, I just say, um, you know, hey so and so, this is uh, these are your booking documents. You know, let me know if you have any questions. I also send over a questionnaire. Um, I went over that questionnaire uh, in the Big Ten series, um, and actually provided a link to that as well through that series, but. Um, that, that questionnaire typically, I don't make that due until, um, you know, about a, a month out from the wedding. And, uh, it just has a bunch of questions on there, like logistics, like, you know, where's the venue and, um, you know, like <laughs> what day is the wedding? Like very basic information like that. Um, but, but then it goes on to ask other questions, you know, like what kind of music do my clients like? Um, what kind of, uh, um, you know, what do you like about wedding videos that you've seen? You know, what are some things you'd like me to focus on in your video, that kind of stuff, just to help me get a sense of like what they're looking for. Um, and, and how I can better make a better video for them that they're actually going to like. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I do my bookings. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode. Like I said, I'm on the road and, uh, got, got a busy week coming up so I'm gonna I'm gonna tune out for now and uh, try to get some sleep but uh, really appreciate you guys listening as always if you have questions send them to me at Michael at wedding videography school com don't forget to rate and review the podcast check out wedding videography com for resources and series um, support uh, wedding videography school uh, with your purchases if you're buying equipment go to um, go go to the kit page at wedding videography school the gear list and uh, if you wouldn't mind clicking through there to make your amazon purchases that would be very beneficial to Uh, me and the podcast. So really appreciate you guys. And uh, until next time, peace.